0: So for those of you who haven't been to Labor Story before, I am an atypical speaker because I have no scientific qualifications whatsoever. Um, When I started doing science comedy, I used to refer to myself as a scientician because it was a word I made up so I couldn't be sued under the Trades Descriptions Act, Uh, and that is still true. Um, But I am all those things that we just talked about, and tonight I would like to tell the story of one of my science heroes, Dr. Veronica M. Megler, perhaps one of the most influential certainly the most successful computer scientist to come out of Melbourne. But to tell the story of Dr. Megler, it is best to tell the story of how she changed the face of computer games forever. I want you to travel back with me to a time before smartphones or iPads, before Xboxes and Playstations, even before Sega and Nintendo. Yes, I would like you to come with me back to that dark time we know only as the early 1980s. Arcade machines were taking off. Plenty of people had an Atari 2600 in the living room at home. And those were fine if you were into jumping, smashing, or shooting things. But if you wanted a plot and story in your video games, then your best bet was to play adventure games. And for those, you needed a personal computer. And computers in the early 80s were not friendly. Most of them didn't have mice. They were based around text input Uh, and I know the reception to this next line will show the age of some of the people in the room, but to even start up a program, you had to type in arcane instructions like load star 8-1, which made no sense to most people at the time. And once you got the game started, it might have had very slow and chunky graphics, but the earliest adventure games were entirely text-based. Now, text adventures got better during their history, but interacting with a fictional world using only typed commands, always carried with it some degree of frustration because as well as figuring out what to do to solve a puzzle, you also had to figure out how to tell the computer to bloody well do it. And the earliest games could only understand really simple two-word instructions like go west or get sword. You had to learn to speak each game's very limited language. And if you entered a cave with a sword on the ground, and a goblin lurking in the corner, right? You couldn't just type attack goblin because the game would say with what it only understood how to use items that you were already carrying. You had to tell it to pick up the sword and then tell it to attack the goblin with the sword. Get it? But still, for those who didn't have a group of friends to play Dungeons & Dragons with, like this guy, it was the closest you could get to climbing Gumby-like inside a book and interacting directly with an adventure story firsthand. Now this was the state of text adventures way back in 1981 when a guy named Fred Milgram of a software company based here in Melbourne called Melbourne House wondered if maybe professionally trained computer folk could do a better job than the hobbyists who were dominating the computer games landscape at the time. So he put up a notice at Melbourne University looking for student coders, and this is where our hero enters the story. Veronica Megler, in her final year of computer science, answered the ad, and Fred instantly saw she was the best person for the job. He gave her a very simple instruction. Write the best adventure game ever. Oh, and it's going to be based on a book. Just a little one, you know, no big deal. Just a little thing called The Hobbit. <laughs> right, no pressure, okay? Okay. But Veronica was up to the task, and in fulfilling it, she became one of the earliest professional computer game developers and writers. Veronica thought about what she disliked about earlier games that she'd played, games like Colossal Cave Adventure. And as she read through The Hobbit, she made notes about how to turn the action into puzzles for players to solve. Because throughout the history of adventure games, it's these puzzles that have been the main attraction of those games. And the most famous ones are outrageously difficult. I want to take, for example, a game that I played the most uh, of all text adventures, which was the video game version of Douglas Adams as The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, now, in the original non-video game version of the story, at one point the character Ford Prefect says, You're gonna need this fish in your ear and gives a babel fish to Arthur Dent so that suddenly this human being could understand every alien language ever. Right? If you haven't read the book, seriously, what are you doing with your life? Uh, but in the game, that doesn't happen. In the game it's changed so that Ford doesn't give you the Babelfish. Instead, there's a Babelfish vending machine. But it doesn't work properly. So in order to get a Babelfish and understand the alien languages, you have to use a towel, a satchel, a dressing gown, and a pile of unread mail in order to get it. And you have to use them in the right way and in the correct order. And the only way to figure out that sequence is by trial and error. And this was a game we played for fun, right? Right? And this is like a really badly designed escape room, right? You've got all these weird things. You've got to get them in the right order. And it's not least like an escape room because in a lot of the games, you have a time limit before something goes wrong. And all of that is really difficult. And then on top of that, you've got to add the fact that you are struggling to get the computer to understand your commands to get it to do what you want. Now, Veronica was aware of that problem. So she brought in her friend, Phil Mitchell, to work on The Hobbit. And his job was to improve the interface. getting it to draw simple pictures of every location, which was a real novelty at the time. Most text adventures didn't have any pictures. And more importantly, he introduced more natural language using a thing they called English with an I. Input English, English. Now, this was a big deal. Instead of get sword and attack goblin, the Hobbit understood actual sentences. You could type attack the goblin with the sword and the game understood that you wanted to pick up the sword first and then use it to attack the goblin. Revolutionary. (laughs) Revolutionary. Now, it also understood more complex things. You could viciously attack the goblin, which meant you hit it harder, but you made yourself tired. Or you could pick up everything except the green bottle. Now, it was still pretty clunky, and later games, including the Hitchhiker's Guide game, got even easier to use, but it was much, much better than what came before. And while Phil was sorting that out, Veronica, meanwhile, as well as adapting the book so that she could write the game based on it, was creating what we'd now call a game engine. Now, this was a new concept at the time. A game engine is a system that handles all the actions in the game. It interfaced, in her case, with three different data structures that she created from scratch, which represented the locations, the objects, and the characters in the game. And this was a, a new and radically modern approach for the time. Now, Choose Your Own Adventure books store all the information about objects and available actions right there on the page In the text of the story because they don't have anywhere else to put it and that's how early interactive text adventures worked. They included all that information in the story file that was plugged into the program that accepted input from the person playing it. Now that meant a lot of things had to be repeated. A, A sword, a lamp, a map, they all had behaviors that they shared in common but you had to write them into those objects separately. So You know, that was taking up a lot of the limited memory that was available on the computers at the time, and it also required a lot of repetitive work from writers. So Veronica invented this system that was abstracted from the fiction. Behind the scenes, there were these general functions that handled things that you commonly wanted to do in the game with lots of different objects, like picking them up or activating them or putting them inside a container. And objects could use most of those actions by default, but you could also add extra ones just by labeling an object as a container or as wearable or as consumable, something you could eat and all that kind of thing. And you only had to write special instructions for unusual objects, like things that were too big or heavy to pick up, or things with special powers, like, I don't know, maybe some kind of magic ring or something, I don't know. Now this system, a game engine, saved space and it made it easier to add and change specific locations, characters, and objects in the game. Messages to the player were constructed by the program using templates. So the game didn't have to have all these sentences pre-written into it. If Gandalf was going to give you a map in the game, it just needed to know who was giving what to whom and it could make that sentence up on the fly. This was much more sophisticated and again saved lots and lots of memory. Now, Veronica was also pretty smart, and she recognized how boring adventure games became once you had solved all the puzzles. This is another way that they were like escape rooms. You couldn't play them more than once. So she decided to make the game unpredictable, which meant that they had to write their own method of generating random numbers, because the built-in ones on the personal computers of the time just weren't random enough. They came up with two similar numbers every time you played it. And these random numbers were generated at the start of the game, and they changed some of the starting conditions of how the game worked, where you might find a particular character or the layout of a particular sequence of caves that go through the mountain. Now, one downside to this was that it meant that you could end up in the game with a situation that made it impossible for you to finish the game. But Veronica decided it was worth it to make the game more challenging and dynamic and exciting. And most of the people who played the game agreed. Not all of them, but, you know, those people, they need to live a little. (laughs) Now, one place in which this randomness was particularly felt was one of the most innovative things that Veronica put into the game, and that was the characters, because the characters in The Hobbit had minds of their own. Now in other text adventure games, characters pretty much behaved like objects. They just waited around for you to interact with them and just you know, talked to them in order to solve puzzles. And their behaviour was exactly the ta- same every time you talked to them or played the game. But the characters in The Hobbit travelled around with you and they also had their own sets of behaviours defined in the character database that Veronica had created. They'd take their own turns when you were doing things in the game. Like Gandalf, for example, has a very short attention span and he's also a bit of a kleptomaniac. And in fact, the last time I played the game, right at the start, um, he gave me the map to, you know, the way to the mountain. Um, But as I'm trying to open a chest in Bag End, where you start out, he took the map back off me and then wandered out the door without me, (laughs) right? Now, that's not how I remember the book starting. And you could play the game again and Gandalf wouldn't necessarily do that. The most famous thing that one of the characters does is is Thorin, who every now and then, Thorin, the leader of the dwarves, will sit down and start... Right? Um, A phrase that is now in internet meme legend. He does it all the time. Now, all of these innovations that were created by Veronica, uh, the randomness, character agency, the flexibility of the game engine, along with Phil's improved parser and graphics, these all combine to make The Hobbit the best-selling text adventure game of all time now they didn't really record sales numbers of video games back then but it sold at least a quarter of a million copies and we know that millions of people have played it and it stayed on the shelves in shops for five years that was unheard of at the time and it was a massive massive hit now for veronica this is my favorite part of the story. Um, she finished up at Melbourne House after a couple of years, and she made a couple of other games. One of the things they did there was um, they, the developers were given $20 a week to go and play arcade games, so they could figure out what was popular, and they could just copy them. Uh, imagine imagine taking $20 to an arcade now. It wouldn't get you very far, but in those days, it could be professional development. Uh, And when she finished up, in those pre-internet days, the people at Melbourne House lost track of her because she went back to a a more sort of traditional computer science career. In fact, she stopped playing video games. She didn't really interact with the world of video games for about 10 years. And it wasn't until around 2008 that she realised that this game that she had written and created was this massive, massive hit. And she realised it because her email address became Googleable, at the place where she was working and she started to get fan mail from all these people about a game that she had written like 30 years earlier telling her it had changed their life that it had made them, you know, realize how much they wanted to be an adventurer that it just fed into their love of being a nerd, you know. And when she learned that and also looked at the state of computer games today and saw how little respect and, um, and advocacy there was for women working in the sector, she decided, well, she was going to be a little bit more public and talk about it a little bit more. But she's still a fairly private person, which is why this story is mostly about what she did. But now she works uh, in big data. In fact, she designed a big data search engine for her PhD, and she now works uh, in analysis for, I think she's still at Amazon. She was when I, um, in the things while I was reading about this. And I'd like to thank her because you know, the kind of games that I love the most, adventure games, role-playing games, fantasy games, they all owe a massive debt to her. She was a huge pioneer. She wrote the first, one of the first game engines. She created the first video game characters that had minds of their own. And let's not overlook that she wrote and designed the very first video game ever to be set in the world of Middle Earth. She really delivered on that difficult brief of making the best adventure game ever, And who wouldn't want to play a game that starts like this? You are in a comfortable tunnel-like hall. To the east, there is a round green door. You see a wooden chest. Gandalf. Gandalf is carrying a curious map. And Thorin. Gandalf gives the curious map to you. Thorin says, hurry up! What would you do? Well, there's only one way to find out. And luckily for you, fans are still making sure you can play Veronica Megler's game even today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Ben. Ben McKenzie, ladies and gentlemen. That was a very heartwarming story. And really glad to hear, I remember playing Nintendo games and having nightmares that everyone I go and talk to just says the same thing over and over again. It's like, what? (laughs) Um, And just to plug Ben's podcast, Pratt's Chat, a podcast about Terry Pratchett. And you can also follow him on Twitter at at McKenzie underscore Ben. So on to our next speaker. We have Dr. Lynette Plenderleith. Yes, (laughs) Lynette is a wildlife biologist by training and has a PhD from Monash University where she studied the ecology of native Australian frogs, (coughs) frogs, (coughs) sorry I shouldn't have eaten so many frogs. (laughs) She is now a science media specialist working mostly in television, Lynette is currently president of the Victorian branch of the Australian science communicators and spends her time spare time snorkeling hiking and competing with her dogs at agility and Lynette will be speaking about Grace Olive Wiley please wait.